Yo, what's up, guys? Chad, Chad, Chads. GM. GM, GM, Chad Cow. Yeah, amazing to wake up this morning and see a tweet from, from Li-Fi that they're going through the DoorChain integration. So hyped up on that. Uh, did not know when they were going to announce that publicly, but we got Li-Fi, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited for Li-Fi. I don't know if any if you guys know like uh, what Li-Fi does, but they do. They, they're a, a, a DEX aggregator. And they do all the swaps in MetaMask and Phantom and dozens of wallets and other DEXs. So they're an absolutely huge DEX aggregator to, to have on our side. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That's, that's a big one. Do we have any idea? Like, I'm, I'm out of curiosity, like how much volume they do per day? So, okay. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but... Uh, how much volume did MetaMask do in, in 2021? Something like, like some ab- absurd number. Uh, I think they made like 150 million revenue or something like that. So if you if you like go back, if you do some backwards math there, you think of like 85 basis points as a fee, and you kind of run backwards from that. It's uh, it, it's pretty high. Like they they do all the swaps in MetaMask, uh, which is definitely not a small number and and phantom and a ton of other aggregators too they're they're one of the biggest if not the biggest aggregator in the space so like if metamask wants to do a trade from like eth to usdc it would like wi-fi would try to like would, would route some amount of that traffic to thorchain based upon price execution yeah, I mean, it depends how their aggregator works. I'm not actually sure on the specific, like how they choose what route. I'm, I'm assuming for a lot of things, they, they do Uniswap just because, uh, you know, really deep pools, good price execution. But um, I mean, who knows how that'll change in the future, especially as we get better price execution than Uniswap on <laughs> on ERC-20 trades yeah, yeah. For, for really big ones, that is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that'll maybe that'll change. I don't actually like. I don't know like the internal calculus and stuff like that. Like this is obviously like something that needs a lot of needs a lot of work still, and something that they're just like getting started on. Really, so it's not like it's it's uh, it's live or anything like that. And it's yeah, just yeah. they they are just officially announcing that they're that they're working on it. So what the actual end implementation is, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens because I'd be curious too about. Uh, if they're going to do like affiliate fees or not, or how that how that's going to work? If they're going to just like just not do affiliate fees, are they going to like have their own or have MetaMask affiliate fees possibly or or whatever? Yeah, good question. All stuff to uh, all stuff to work through. A lot of aggregators actually don't really care about uh, affiliate fees. They're kind of just concerned about market share, and that, that's come up like a couple times with a bunch of different aggregators, like. Uh, just just talking with a good number of them and a lot of them are just more concerned about getting market share than they are for fees which is you know that's that's totally fine like posture to take and it means that the interface can take a bigger fee or um or it'll just be a cheaper swap so we'll see what the actual shape of it is as it shapes up over the next uh you know Q, Q1, hopefully we'll, we'll see something come out of here. Uh, although I have, you know, obviously have no idea how long it'll take to actually ship something like this out. I didn't realize they were the back end on MetaMask and Phantom. That's, that's pretty exciting and gets my mind going as to future possibilities. Like if they value, you know, 
native Bitcoin and things like that, then maybe that eventually trickles into the wallets and then it's in a prime spot for, for MetaMask, Phantom, other big wallets. Yeah, especially if like if, if MetaMask wanted to get uh, Bitcoin integration, hypothetically, uh, and LiFi already does it, then like it might just abstract away the, the technical complexities of actually the work to support Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, it's a lot easier for MetaMask to like, a lot less of a friction for MetaMask to like support uh, Thorchain and Bitcoin and other things. Like, that would be pretty, pretty fucking baller as shit. Yeah, in my mind, that's kind of where the aggregator play goes is like, so major aggregators start implementing Thorchain, right? And they, they start getting Bitcoin into their swaps. And then the, the natural evolution of that is for wallets to go, well, okay, there's uh, this huge growing share of people who want to trade Bitcoin, obviously. And uh, this this aggregator that, we are, that we're already hooked into for our ERC-20 swaps has the capability of doing Bitcoin swaps too. And there's a completely separate market that we could do for Bitcoin swaps on top of the ERC-20 swaps. So then by doing the small, not, you know, not small lift, but by doing the lift of putting in Bitcoin, which is gaining net new users, you also get that new revenue source of being able to put swaps through. So like, to me, it's just the natural progression of things as we get into, you know, as we are in the biggest aggregators, it just makes sense to me that wallets will, the wallets indexes start to follow the trend and add support to that. It's kind of funny because like uh, we're kind of Bitcoinizing the the whole DeFi space here <laughs> through, through these integrations. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Like we're, it, it's kind of like UDI-esque almost like we're like backdoor orange pilling the, um, all of the ERC-20 wallets and DEXs and things. Yeah, and it feels like they're finally starting to realize, like, hey, wait a second, like, literally largest asset in crypto, we don't support that, might be important, might be something people want. <laughs> Just maybe, maybe. Yeah, I saw uh, Will requested to come up on the stage. What's up? These are open spaces, by the way. So if anyone like ever wants to, I mean, I, I think most people know this, but if anyone ever wants to come up and, and talk or ask a question, feel free to do so at any point. So if, if you have something you want to say, go for it. I think Will is having trouble with his mic or something. Yeah, maybe not. All right, we'll leave him up here for a couple minutes yeah. in case he gets to just chime in at any time. But yeah, so I mean, that, yeah. that was just the first thing I woke up to this morning. And it's been a yeah. huge couple of weeks for, for us. <laughs> Yeah, the other integration news that's recent is um, I think Edge Wallet added Rune to as an asset that they support now in general. So yep. that's, a, that's a nice little integration bump. Yeah, that's the first Rune integration we've had in a in a while, uh, and it's not even something. It's not something that we've been pushing a lot, just trying to get wallets integrate Rune because it's like it, it's in my mind, it's not even like a it's not really a mover for for the wallets like it's not like they're all of a sudden gonna you know gain 10x in popularity from uh implementing rune but what they can do is get a lot more adoption just from implementing swaps and savers and and lending and things so it's like that that's really what we've been pushing so we haven't really seen too many rune integrations but now edge has landed that as well big fans of edge those guys that, that team there is a bunch of ship chads too yeah, those guys are great over there. 
have a question related to Rune the token and what what role it plays in swaps. I know I should probably have just read about this, but I'm too lazy to do it. But somebody told me that when it, when you're making a swap on Thorchain, the Bitcoin has to buy Rune in some way before the the swap is completed. I don't know how accurate how accurate is that. Yeah, I mean that's accurate. So every pool is Rune and, and another asset. So Rune Ethereum, Rune Bitcoin. So a Bitcoin to ETH swap is selling Bitcoin to buy Rune and then selling Rune to buy Ether. So every trade goes through Rune that goes through Thorchain essentially. So you can do a you know Bitcoin to ETH swap and you never interact with Thorchain at all directly, but you're still buying and selling Rune in the process. Okay, and how does the impermanent uh, impermanent loss plays into that? Considering that you know Rune being an altcoin is not as stable as close to Bitcoin Ethereum. Well, that applies to liquidity providers, but if you're a swapper, uh, impermanent loss doesn't really apply to you. Yeah, I mean, I mean for liquidity providers, yes. Well, it means you have to take into consideration that you might experience impermanent loss based on on price movements. I mean, it just it just uh, added risk that liquidity providers take by providing liquidity. Right, and that's right. Just and true. That's just true with any. Generally, a, any AMM has that same attributes. And if you want like a lesser, if your theory, if your theory should have a lesser uh, IL, is like that, that's what you want. The best thing to do is either you get two stable coins, or this is not like a Thorchain specific thing. This is more generally, either you you uh, have two stable coins and hope that one doesn't depeg, or you get two um, volatile assets that are that are similar in market cap, and they'll be more likely to move together than you know Bitcoin and some small market asset. All right, thank you, and. Uh, just a, a quick follow-up on, on that. So the way the the AMs and Rune are built are basically exactly the same as Ethereum with no difference whatsoever. And with and, and on Ethereum, we have a lot more stablecoin integration. Is there something close to an idea of a Bitcoin-based stablecoin of some sort, or USDT is pretty much standard still? Uh, there is no Bitcoin stablecoin uh, on Thorchain, and this is something we've explored in the past, um, but it's not really feasible or reasonable to do that. Like a Bitcoin-based a Bitcoin uh, base stablecoin, um, in my opinion, the only way you can do that is through a trusted federation. And I'm not a big fan of trusted federations. I don't think it's really... Uh, I don't think it really helps uh, in the in the viewpoint of this industry that to, to rely on trusted federations to manage things. So you could do one, but it wouldn't be a trustless system, and that's 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 why we haven't done it, in my opinion. Cool, uh, Khan. What's up, man? Or what's up? What's up? I was in it. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, guys. So, um, yeah, two things I wanted to uh, comment and ask. One is um, Chainflip, uh, the little bro brother, launched. Um, so, 
I, I've been I've been seeing some tweets on like how um, they're gonna cover the polka like they're gonna be uh, supporting Polkadot. Um, it's a large market cap chain, so I'm I'm wondering if there's like uh, an easy path of like um, you know using chain flip to route orders to and from DOT to other assets um, and and use store chain. Um, how feasible is that? Is that like, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I wanted to just ask that as a starter. And then the other topic that I kind of want to discuss is like bonds versus pools. I think uh, the network is like way over bonded right now. I don't know if it's at like all time high in that regard. Um, the, the yield in pools is just like massive. Um, so yeah, I'm like in the next days, I'm, I'm definitely expecting pools to grow. Um, but yeah, um, like it's actually surprising to me that they haven't grown that fast. Uh, I was expecting that like people would would actually pile up by now. Um, but curious how you guys think about this. Yeah. Uh, so the first one, uh, a chain flip Dex integration. I would be totally down for that. I think that'd be awesome to do. Um, I don't know how they feel about it. I mean. They've kind of insinuated in the past that they're they're down to party in that kind of sense, and so I'd be definitely open to that. And I don't see why it would be um, uh, why we couldn't do that. Um, well, we both support probably Bitcoin and Ethereum, so we could probably might be able to do it through the Ethereum bridge. Like have like our we send ETH to them, and then they send the ETH into you know Polkadot, and then Polkadot gets sent out. Like that's that's possible. I don't, I don't know the specifics of how, how like about the technical specifics of how Chainflip works within the context of like a DEX integration, but I'm totally down in general for that, for that idea. It'd be more efficient, of course, if we, uh, if we supported each other more directly in the sense that we added Chainflip to ThorChain and they added ThorChain to Chainflip and then it'd be a bit more direct, you know? Um, we don't have to do that so much with Maya though, because Maya already supports runes. So we can, we can kind of go through that direction. But in general, I'm totally down for such a thing. Uh, the other question you asked was um, about the bond and TVL. The reason why the bond is so high right now is largely because, one, the Rune asset has been the highest performing cryptocurrency asset for like months now, or at least like the top one or two or what all the number is. And so because it's performing so much better than all the other assets in crypto, the value of the bond is increasing more than the value of the pools inherently so that's because it's the pools are half and half and the bonds 100 percent rune so it's like it's moving it's getting more that way because runes price is performing so well and then at the same time we're getting a lot more bonds to come in because of you know people like uh, thorchain bull and others running bonded nodes making it easier for um you know um, medium rune holders in a sense to, to be able to bond up more easily and, and participate on the, on the bond side. So <laughs> there's a good reason why it is the way it is. And to your right, like a lot of the yield is going to the LPs and stuff. But um, I suspect that like over a longer period of time, the the, the, the pools will get deeper um, and they'll catch up to the bond uh, over, over a longer period of time, like months, not so much weeks. So uh, you might be right, though. I mean, who knows, like, how fast this stuff should react. But this this project is still, even despite all of its recent success, it's still relatively unknown to a lot of people out there. And when people see such high-yield numbers, they kind of get, like, weirded out by it. And they kind of, like, don't believe it. They think it's a, you know, scam or 
or something of this nature, which I understand why I, I you know, but I, I always encourage people to do the research and understand why they yield so high, not just that it is high. Yeah. And then, and then just to add to that, right. Like there's a, there's a, the yield that composition of that yield amongst different participants in the pools is, is, is another story. Now that like there's a significant amount of savers in the pool, the savers are owned the non-rune asset that they deposit, which means basically when rune goes up, there's just a lot more, um, a lot more effectively just boost the yield for the dual LPs, which I think is, is like, it's very, it's like a different notion to a lot of people who aren't uh, familiar with Torchain. So that, that even boosts the, um, the yields higher. I've, I've had like friends asking me like how the yields are actually so high. Um, like, I think this is one of the factors that, that people don't like uh, immediately see. So, like I soon I expect like LPs to, to brag about their yields in, in Twitter and then like after that maybe people will just like um uh, feel the feel oh the FOMO. Um the other path the other path which is totally also feasible, but maybe not not like definitely not as useful for Torchain is that node operators might actually uh think that oh like the 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 yield on, on on pools is like way higher than what I'm getting here, and so they might actually exit to become a become a uh, node operator and then join the pool, in which case they like that wouldn't be as productive because it's just like, um you know it's like an internal liquidity in a sense there's no like external um, participants joining the network, um yeah so let's see. Yeah, just one thought on this, like we saw during the summer that, so during the summer, we hit the point where we were almost, where we were approaching uh, under bonded, where we were essentially at the hard cap for maybe like a month, I I think someone maybe remembers that better than me, but we were at the, at the point where, um, you know, we were basically at the cap of, you know, of, of TVL that we can support on the network for the amount of bond that we had. And now we're in the complete opposite situation where we we're way over bonded so the network is over secured for the amount of liquidity that it has and it it took a couple months to like maybe a month maybe two to correct for that problem and basically balance it out so like one thing i've been thinking about is how the incentive pendulum i mean it 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 provides the incentives in the in whatever direction we need to give rewards to most so right now 75 percent of yields are going towards lps so that's like for the for the basically the past month, LPs have been earning looks like around 150k a day, while while all the nodes are earning around like 60 to 70 a day, uh, basically. So a lion's share of all the rewards are going to the LPs, and it, since it's it's not uh, like this is just incentivizing human behavior. So I, I think all this stuff takes you know, like a month or two at least to really take effect. And I think we've really seen a huge increase in liquidity this month, especially with, with savers and, and things like that. So things are definitely moving in the right direction. I think it's just a, a slow process. And it's great for the LPs because when, you know, during the summer, uh, they were not getting very much yield at all because a lot of that was going towards the nodes instead because we were almost at an underbonded state. But now it is the opposite scenario and the LPs are finally 
you know, getting paid basically uh, for providing liquidity because the network's trying to onboard more and more liquidity. So seems to me like things are working pretty well. I think it just takes a little time to play out. I, I, I'm I curious to see like what's going to happen over the next month or two. I, I think TBL is going to go uh, up, up until, you know, for the next couple of months, at least we'll have to see. Yeah, would would be a shame if we don't break the all time high. I'm pretty confident that we will soon. So, which which all time high are you referring to? Like total, uh, not, uh, like non room TVL in terms of like dollar value. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that'll. I mean, that'll happen. Uh, just because as Rune's price moves, the TVL gets also the number of the amount of you know Bitcoin and everything else also kind of comes into the network naturally. So it's just like. Um, we're not even really like, you know, anywhere close to like the top of the bull market. So it's just like naturally at some point we're, we'll probably break, you know, a trillion or, or two trillion in market and not TVL in total TVL, not, not uh, non-run TVL, but it's total TVL. And so like, to me, that's just inevitability almost. Especially if, like if Rune keeps on performing well, like it's been performing well for the last few months. If it keeps on going and the angle that it's going, like for sure it's going to happen. Hey guys, can I ask a couple of questions? Shoot. Okay, good. Yeah, I made a, a whole bunch of uh, list here. Um, so you know, um, I think I think it's pretty obvious um, that. Um, so as far as trading and you know swapping and stuff things are going to be more decentralized in, in particular uh, you know now that you know we know what's been happening with, with binance and everything um so what what is the long-term vision of thorchain i mean is this pretty much is it to be the deepest liquidity um decks um are you guys thinking about doing some other things or um and, and then once you answer that i've got a couple of questions as well yeah, I mean, so um, it's fair to say that different people in, the, in our community have different viewpoints on what the long-term goal of the project is. I certainly have mine, and Chad or Thoreau might have theirs, and, and all are legitimate. But uh, I'll just share my, my opinion. And my opinion is that uh, ThorChain should become the largest ex exchange in the world by, by trade volume. And uh, uh, not just decentralized exchanges, but centralized as well. It should, it should surpass Binance one day. Uh, that's the... The ultimate goal that I, you know, that I have in sight from from my eyes is just getting it to be the biggest thing, uh, biggest exchange in the world. And, and by doing so, you would inherently become Thorchain becomes the place that defines the price of, you know, Bitcoin, defines the price of Ethereum, defines the price of, you know, various other assets. Just because that's where all the liquidity is, and everything else becomes the tail end, and we become the head. Right. And so I think that is what my long term goal for the AMM is to accomplish that particular goal. Outside of that, I also see Thorchain like very well poised to, to do other very significant things in the space. Right. Uh, we're talking about savers, which is a, a similar concept to what like BlockFi and Celsius used to do for like Bitcoin yield and that kind of thing. So those companies in themselves had, you know, 10 to 20 billion dollars of Bitcoin and other assets uh, because of just that yield kind of concept. Uh, and also because of loans as well. Lending is another thing. We, we've been kind of like dipping our toes in lately, and, and we have a lending product that's out and available today that's a very novel and interesting concept uh, that's still proving itself. It's still proving it's, uh, it's working. So far, it's worked exactly like as it's been planned, which is great. 
um, but it's much too early to call it, you know, a win or whatever. We won't really know whether or not lending will be like working or not working until we've gone through a full bolt and a full bear. So we're years away from actually fully understanding the success or failure of, of lending itself and this new novel design. But um, and the other thing that I'm uh, I'm interested in that I'm like I think would be really fascinating is to get an algo stablecoin that actually fucking works for once. Most of the stablecoins that exist today are um, the, the, the centralized ones are over collateralized, and all of them have no adoption or very very little no, little very little adoption. The biggest one is Dai at five billion dollars, which is maybe five percent of the total market cap of stablecoins. Like it's fucking nothing. It's almost. 95, 96% of stablecoins are USDT and USDC, other centralized ones. And I would also make the argument that DAI is not a decentralized stablecoin. It's backed by 80% of centralized assets. So including USDC and stocks and bonds and other fucking random, you know, uh, real world assets. So it's, to me, it's not even a stablecoin. So, and the next big decentralized stablecoin after DAI is, a, you know, way far away. I actually don't even know if it was a, what it is up to man. I mean, I'll look it up just to... For, for giggles here, maybe somebody else on the, on the stage knows what is the biggest stablecoin after die. I don't really quite remember. Anybody know that? Frax, maybe? That's just a guess. I, I didn't look it up. Uh, I had it in my screen like a while back, and I don't know how I got to it. Uh, where was that? Is oh, it oh, the right. Tron one? USDD? Uh, like it's all the time? The Tron? The Tron? Is it PYP? Maybe. Uh, where was this? I was here to stables overview. Um, yeah, true USD is the next one, which is is a, is that centralized or decentralized? I don't even, I'm not familiar with that. No, those, those are centralized. That's just uh, that's the, the new BUSD. <laughs> They're moving right. from BUSD to BUSD. True, true USD. Yeah. So there's this Tether USDC, Die True USD, BUSD, which is fucking dying, First Digital USD, which is also fucking dying, I believe. USDD, which has depegged multiple times, and that market cap is uh, $700 million, which is fucking nothing compared to the 100, what is it, like a close to 100 billion market cap of stablecoins, right? Terra Classic USD is number nine with uh, <laughs> a 500 million. I mean, for fuck's sake here, Frax is number eight with uh, 669 million. So in my opinion, like, this is like an area that is that has not been that is desperately needed in the industry of having a properly decentralized stablecoin that nobody has been able to find a, a, a product market fit for it, right? And partially because an over collateralized stablecoin is highly capital inefficient, which makes it not very you know, a good asset to to fuck around with, right? In a matter of speaking, so that's something we still need to accomplish as an as an industry, and we can certainly cannot rely on Tether and USDC to be like the stablecoin of the industry, especially because these companies now have the ability to, to have a like terror like collapse that is, you know, order like orders of magnitude larger than terror was that would push us back into a bear market. Like we've never seen before because they're so fucking critical to like so many DeFi protocols and, and, and lending protocols and fucking AMMs that like, it would just be a, such a fucking disaster if USDC decided to fuck it and just like freeze tokens on Uniswap or whatnot. It would just cause a mass fucking panic. Like, it's crazy that our entire DeFi industry is like sober lined 
on USDC and Tether considering it's so centralized, right? So this is like a critically important thing for the industry as a whole that nobody is doing right. Everybody just keeps on like taking the same recipe and like doing nothing different and then figuring that, oh yeah, we've got another stable coin that is identical to every other fucking stable coin out there. And it doesn't really do anything differently. It's not really getting any part market fit. It's not actually achieving, achieving any, solving any particular problems because nobody's fucking buying it or using it or any of these things. So to me, ThorChain is uniquely positioned to do a, st a stable coin. One, because it actually has an algo stable coin design that actually fucking works, right? That actually is, it, it doesn't have its own pegging mechanism like Terra had, but rather it pegs across an index of all the stable coins across the industry, including centralized ones, but not being reliant on the centralized ones. And so like, that is a, a very important thing for us to do as an industry for this, for this thing. And the reason why we can do that and nobody else can is because we can connect to stable coins across different ecosystems from AVAX to uh, BSC to, you know, ETH, of course, you know, L2s, whatever, whatever, whatever. And we can combine all these things together to create a much more reliable stablecoin than anything else. Even the Tor asset today is outperforming in terms of stability than all than Tether, than USDC, than BUSD, than all of the stablecoins that are currently being put into the, into the, the pegging mechanism. Of, of Tor itself, it's actually outperforming all of them. So you can achieve a stable coin that is actually more stable than the, the other stable coins and is decentralized and it's like capital efficient and you can actually get some real fucking adoption because of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, to me, it's a, it's a long-term goal that I have, but the industry may feel, the, the community may feel different. Awesome. So, so, so I have my own thoughts on this and um, like even, even if, even if what all of you said, what all, all of you um, said is just true, right? Like Torchain Tor is like has all these stables, and even if it comes up with this like ideal stable algo stable design, that is that is actually stable. Um, I don't see how it can be used. Um, so and and the reason is because like stable coin is just very useful. Um, like people use if people want this stable coin and use it in DeFi, and, and Torchain is like, like doesn't have smart contracts. It's its own chain with its own security mechanism and all that. So if, yes. if you want that stable coin to be useful, you would have to export it to other chains. In which case, <laughs> it, it, go, it goes like very much the opposite of, of the Torchain vision, which is like, don't do wrapped assets, right? Um, because because in, this, in this case, you would have a wrapped Tor on Ethereum, like doing like, going to Ovid, going to whatever, like all of these like um, smart contract apps. Um, so there, I like I don't I don't see the big use case or division. I don't I don't buy it, basically. Yeah. So in order to do that, you're ta you're talking about where does the demand center come from for for the for the Tor asset, right? Which is a very valid question to ask. We talked about having yield systems within Thorchain to, to to do such a thing, and we've had a conversation about different method methodologies of achieving that. But I'm actually I kind of prefer the idea of of what you were saying you didn't like, which is to export the, the asset to other other chains and, and stuff. And the reason why that's not really a wrapped asset like you would tr traditionally think is because a wrapped asset is usually managed by a group of, um, of, 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 a, of a trusted federation to do so, like, like a BitGo or something like this. But because ThorChain is, is native to multiple chains like Ethereum, whatever, and has direct relationship and connection to those things, and the activity of all those people are actually doing it in an economically aligned kind of way, not just doing it through altruistic purposes. Thorchain has the ability to actually 
to actually have a native Tor asset and on ThorChain and a native Tor asset on uh, Ethereum, other ways, similar to how USDC is not wrapped on Ethereum and it's not wrapped on Tor, uh, on uh, Tron, and it's not wrapped on Noble. It is the same USDC asset that exists on multiple chains because the person that the entity that creates that that asset is can just deploy it on Ethereum and deploy it on Polygon and deploy it on all these things. And obviously, USDC is controlled by Coinbase. But in our case, we're in a centralized network not really controlled by anybody. And so we can deploy Tor on Ethereum and we can deploy Tor onto Avalanche and we can deploy the same as what USDC does via by, by Coinbase. That's not, in my opinion, a wrapped asset because it's the same entity that is ensuring the value that is that, is, that creates the, the asset itself. Does that make sense? Um, I don't buy that. I understand your point, but I don't agree. And the reason why I don't agree is like if Ethereum validators were to like print ETH out of like they in the next block, if they try to print ETH out of thin air, the, the full nose running that, that chain will just like completely ignore that, right? So then they can't just like print ETH and like have people accept it. Whereas like in this case, if Thorchain validators were to like maliciously collude and like started to print like um, the, 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 the algo stable and like basically export it to these other chains, these other chains actually have no means of checking whether or not it's legit. So, so people right. would, be, would be relying on like a committee, like a, co uh, like a co committee, like a, uh, it's not a federation. It is like an economically secured like committee, but it is still a committee basically. There is still like a handful of people who can get together and just like print an unlimited amount of tokens. So, but that gets into the, like the implementation details. It's not about the idea in general at a high level. You're talking about, well, how do, what are the mechanisms? What are the capabilities that, that these individuals have the ability to? Do they have the ability to infinitely mint as much Tor as they want on Ethereum, let's just say, for example? And that all depends upon uh, uh, on the, the rules of the system, right? And so, for example, we've been talking, uh, we had a little public conversation recently about the idea that, like, of, um, that we can set a max percentage of the rune value right, is there to, to back the value of Tor. I think you and I had a conversation this directly on, on DMs uh, a couple weeks ago. And so if you did that, then like, <coughs> you couldn't just mint it because you wouldn't be able to redeem it for the same value. You know what I mean? Like you can mint it and then you would get like, for every Tor you get 99 cents and the next one would be 98 cents. And, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be increasing the total value that you can get out of it. You would just be having the same amount of value that you can have. So, the implementation details matter within this context and, and the concerns that you legitimately have. Hey, can I just ask a couple more questions? Because um, I'm, I'm not a technical person, but I'm, I'm super, super bullish on ThorChain and I just want to get some clarification. So as things pick up and, um, you know, we get into this bull run, uh, can, can you guys explain like the network's capacity, its limits, are there things you, uh, that you're worried about uh, scaling or, you know, or, uh, can we talk a little bit about that? Sure, can you be more specific about what aspect of scaling you're concerned about? I mean, we can talk about this.
bunch of different ways to, to think about that question. I want to know if yeah. you have a specific way to uh, mind. Basically, are you guys going to be ready to handle all the incoming volume? I mean, I'm just seeing your numbers tick up here. My basic observation is that your, your volume is amazing. Uh, you know, people are saying institutions are around the corner, the, the yields are good. Um, it, it's such an amazing uh, protocol. I personally, I don't want anything uh, wrong or anything to happen. So from a technical standpoint, are there things that you're concerned with? Uh, that's all. Yeah, when it comes to the, the idea of like trade volume scalability, like how many transactions, how many swaps can it do or whatever? Um, there's a lot of different things to talk about within that topic. And we probably don't have time to do all of them. But um, the first thing that comes to mind in the, in the, 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 the biggest issue we have now, in my opinion, is is arbitrage, right? Our pools are relatively small relative, relative to its volume, right? So we have the trade volume of the third largest DEX in crypto, but we have the TVL of like, I think it's like the eighth or ninth or whatever hell the number is. And so we don't have very deep pools relative to the volume passing through it. And why that's important is because the deeper the pools are, the same amount of trade volume will have less of an effect to the price, the change in price of the pool, right? So. If you have a you know a million dollar deep pool and you put a hundred thousand dollars to it, it will change the price so much. But if it was a ten million dollar pool in terms of its depth, you put the same trades through it, it'll be a lot you know more or less ten x less in terms of the change in the price. Uh, on top of that, you also have to worry about you know the arbitrage because the deeper the pools, the arbitrage has to has more vol more um, more volume has to pass through the arbitrage bot to do it. So. As we get deeper pools, we will get be more scalable in terms of like maintaining good um, competitive pricing, right? Our pool price relative to the market price. But then you also have to get the arbitrage bots to like scale up their infrastructure, to scale up their capital, to be able to to our back, you know, larger volumes on this on this network. Which hopefully, like we're seeing more people show up on the TVL side. Uh, on the saver side, people adding more liquidity and more individuals, more unique LPs, more, you know, that kind of thing. My hope is that we'll also see more arbitrage bots. And they're all, you know, incentivized the same way a TVL is uh, to be an LP and such because the, the yield that an arbitrage bot is making right now is pretty fucking sick, right? And so hopefully more arbitrage bots will come in, better, higher quality ones like, you know, large institution ARB, ARB systems, right, that, that are out there in the world today. That's the number one scalability thing I have in my mind is not so much the number of swaps per second. I'm less concerned about that in this moment, and I'm more concerned about just arbitrage to be able to keep the price, you know, the pool price and matching the market price at all times. Um, with when you get outside of that, what I'm concerned about is just the time it takes to, to do a trade or a swap. You have to wait for, you know, conf counting, and then you have to wait for the trade to execute for, or if it's a stream swap, it takes several blocks. Um, and then you have to wait for the delayed outbound, which is, you know, pretty consistently around an hour right now because the volume is so high. So we have a, a bunch of changes coming out um, either in 125 or 126 on actual to improve all three of those things, or rather the first one and the last one, to improve the conf counting to be, um, to be faster in that regard. And put a max of like six comps you know, for Bitcoin, for example, uh, and then adding this thing called Swapper Clout, which which allows uh, the delayed outbounds to be significantly reduced. We'll see how much it actually affects in reality. My thinking is it'll it'll probably have like a 90 percent reduction, best guess. 
you know, on average, of course, things can be different from moment to moment, but on average, about 90% production I'm, I'm figuring. So that'll improve the efficiency of that and make the trades faster, which by the way, by doing that, making the trades faster, arbitrage bots can arbitrage more effectively because they can make one trade to correct the pool, get their money out the other side, you know, swap their money back to the original asset through Binance or, you know, some exchange or whatever, and then do another kind of pass through to push the price, the pool price back to the market price. So the faster the ARBs can get in and out of the system, the more efficient that they're going to be and the more powerful they're going to be to maintain like the, the stability of the pool price uh, relative to that. But as time goes on and we get more TVL, you know, as Cam was saying earlier about the, hitting like an all-time high of TVL, blah, blah, blah. As, as, we, as, as we do that, then, then ARB becomes less and less of an issue, sort of. It's kind of a multifaceted topic, but... Yeah, on that, do do ARBs become a lot less important in the vision of Thorchain setting the market price? Like in the vision where the deepest liquidity is on Thorchain, then somebody moves the price and then rather than ARB it, that's just, that's just the price, right? Well, I mean, ARBs are always, they're only trading when they see profit, right? And so they're comparing Thorchain's price to Bitcoin's price or, uh, I'm sorry, Binance's price or, or Coinbase's price. And the reason why you kind of like kind of how I think about it is the reason why Thorchain can become a price setter is because of, because if the most of the of the liquidity of the trade volume is happening through Thorchain, and the tail liquidity is happening through Coinbase and Binance and you know whatever else out there, then you know the most of the market participants are trading through Thorchain, and that the price movements happen first on Thorchain, and then the ARBs replicate that price movement from Thorchain to Coinbase and to Binance and to Kraken and, and to Uniswap and to, you know, anything else out there. So, right, so yeah. they are still critically important. And, and we also want to keep the ARBs happy in many respects. Uh, and they'll, and they have an important job. But as we get more liquidity of that kind of volume, we're going to need some serious fucking ARBs to come in there to trade massive volumes to the network to, to, to keep the, the pool price matching the market price. Awesome. And just one one last thing before I, uh, I step down here. Last time I was in the space, I asked you guys about uh, the Sol integration. And I think there was some back and forth. You, I've been following all of you guys. And you, you, Anatoly has kind of uh, insinuated that they're in, interested in the integration. Can you guys comment on that? And, and also, can you comment on, uh, is there any uh, communication with uh, Chainlink? Thank you. Uh, no communication with Chainlink that I'm aware of, at least. Uh, I don't much aware there would be communications with them. But um, for Solana, there is a lot of interest on our side to do that. Um, and there's been some attempts on our side to reach out to the Solana, you know, foundation and team labs, whatever they want to call it, and try to get them to participate in, in such an integration. But that integration would be very expensive for us as a team to do and very expensive for the protocol as, as a whole to, 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 to maintain. Um, Solana nodes are very expensive to run. They're like 256 or, or 512 gigabytes of, of memory. I mean, that thing is fucking massive. Like it would probably probably double, I'm gonna guess double the cost of a, to every validator out there today who's running a node. They're on average, let's just say they're, they're spending like $5,000 a month to run the infrastructure to to run a node. And so it would just double overnight. And in this, in the situation now where like all the yields go into LPs and lows go into nodes, like it may not make economic sense. Like you have to get, in order to make it profitable, 
the amount of trade volume you'd have to get from Solana would have to probably like be similar to what we're seeing on Ethereum or Bitcoin today, which to be honest is very unlikely to happen anyway, right? And so it's I'm I'm pessimistic that it would be profitable for the validators to run Solana because it's so fucking expensive to do so. And one of the ideas we've been throwing around just to like solve this issue is this idea of like variable chain security. And that right now, everybody who runs an, a node runs a copy of all the chains, right? BSC and AVAX and Doge and Bitcoin and whatever else. Everybody runs everything, in other words, right? Which means the income that's being made from each individual chain is being split, you know, more or less equally relative to bond size to all the validators, right? So if the if it takes, uh, let's say it costs a thousand dollars to run the BSE daemon, for example, right? A thousand dollars per month, and and uh, we are making, you know, fifty thousand dollars in, uh, in 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 fees that are going to the node operators uh, from BSC. but we have one hundred and five validators. So collectively speaking, we're spending one hundred and five thousand dollars per month to support this particular chain. Yet it's only bringing in, you know, fifty thousand dollars of revenue per month or whatever the hell the number is. And so, like, you know, it doesn't make much sense. You're you're losing money at that point, right? Which is not not so great. The idea of a variable rate, uh, variable chain security is that if it's profitable for half the people to do it, but not profitable for the other ones, well, then half the nodes will run it, and half the nodes will not run it. And so, the nodes that are running it are profitable, and the ones that are not are still profitable because they're not having the additional cost of that thousand dollars a month. And so, you have, you create a more um, open marketplace or a more economic driver that determines what chains we can and cannot support that are economically solvent. And by having a, 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 a static chain security, which is our current model today, you're very stringent about that. And it's very, and it's very, you're asking a lot for new chains to coming in to produce enough income relative to how cost it is, how expensive it was to run that system to be able to, to like supply enough liquidity or enough volume, enough trades, enough and so forth and so on, that it's actually viable, economically viable for Thorchain to do that. So if you were to do variable chain security, you could you could support more chains and do so in a way that's economically, you know, makes sense. But of course the the downside of that is that you have, you know, less security for this chain and more security for that chain, which creates more complexities to have people understand the risks of becoming an LP in this network or a saver or whatnot. And so that just kind of creates more complexity, cognitive complexity for our community as a large, as a whole, and it offers more opportunity. It makes it easier to cyber attack, not just the, uh, to cyber attack a chain rather than cyber attacking the network as a whole. Right now, if you want to attack the network, cyber attack the network, you have to do the entire fucking thing, which is obviously very difficult. But if we only had, you know, 10 nodes that are running the Solana node, because that's, a, that's the number that could, that could support it and still be profitable, then, you know, to cyber attack those 10, uh, you know, nodes, whatever, which would be relatively easier to accomplish financially speaking, you know, and, and you'd be able to do that in a way that you could do it profitably because those 10 nodes, and if you got 10 of those nodes, uh, or you got seven or of seven of the 10 nodes or whatever, you can just like, you are the single source of truth about the state of, of Solana. So you can lie all fucking day. You can do fake trades and swaps. You could steal funds and, you know, the network would never know it. You would never get you would never get uh, slashed. And if you got, you know, if you churned out, you stole all the Solana token, all the soul tokens, you get churned out, 
And, you know, we never slashed you because all the money, they think the money's all there. And now we rag and rock that chain because you're leaving with all, with all your validators. So we don't have enough validators to maintain that chain anymore. So then we rag and rock the thing and all the LPs get their money back, except they don't because the seven of the eight, my malicious nodes lie and say, yeah, I sent the money back. All the money's back. It's cool. And then, you know, I leave with all my rune in my hands and I leave with all the, the soul in my hands and, you know, I profit pretty massively from that. So it's a very complicated topic for sure. And I, hopefully I didn't like rant on when, and nobody was understanding a, a single thing I was saying. I hope that's not the case. Yeah, there's also a couple other things you didn't even mention with uh, like EDDSA. So the, all, all the all the chains that are on ThorChain today, they use ECDSA encryption and Solana uses EDDSA. So that's something that, that works being started on pretty soon, starting with an audit of the EDDSA TSS library. That's just the, the threshold signature scheme library for EDDSA. So uh, some preliminary work is being started on to like start us moving down that path because you know if we if we do eventually integrate Solana, which seems like uh, especially with a, a LiFi integration somewhere over the horizon, uh, it, it seems like it'd be, you know, we, we need to figure out a way to get there, obviously, but it seems like it'd be a good way to go. The, the, the base level step is to get the, uh, EDDSA support ready. And then we can figure out things like, you know, costs or, you know, variable chain security, or whether we use like, you know, tiny dancer light client or something like whatever the, the end solution is, like there's still, still preliminary work that has to be done to even you know, think of, thinking about supporting it. So it's not, even if like, we're like, all right, let's do it tomorrow. Like we couldn't do it tomorrow because uh, the EDDSA TSS isn't, uh, you know, isn't recently audited and, you know, not, not battle tested in that way. So I, I wouldn't, I would think it'd be something if it does. Uh, I mean, I, I would think it's on the horizon. I mean, I would hope it's on the horizon. I mean, it's something I, I would like to see, but maybe towards like the end of the first half next year or, or later than that. So it's not something that could happen, you know, tomorrow or next month. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of work. Cool, uh, Craig. What's oh, yeah, up? yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for a, a very good conversation. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us are learning a lot. My question is regarding to regulation, because we know it's coming they're snapping the heads off all centralized exchanges and definitely the next round is going to be DEXs, which ThorChain is part of this. What are you guys, what have you prepared? Or I would rather say, what is the legal infrastructure or framework of this project? And what are you preparing to do when they start coming for centralized and decentralized exchanges and KYC and other restrictions that would definitely come to play. Yeah, I mean, this is a complicated topic. Um, the short answer is I don't know. Like uh, the short answer is that the the government gets to gets to dictate what the regulatory requirements are, right? It's their system. They can get to say whatever the hell they just want to say. And we just have the ability to, to litigate that uh, as, as a community, to be able to litigate that if we feel like it's government overreach or blah, 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 or uh, unjust or undue, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, I, I'm down to doing that. Like, I'm totally down to, if, if the government has some um, some pithy idea about 
what we're, we're doing and what we should be doing and blah, 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 whatever that might be. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally down to, you know, a being a complete pain in their fucking necks and, uh, you know, going through the, the difficult and long process and, and, and expensive process to litigate such things, right? If, if there's reasonable ground that we can step on, uh, stand on, then I am, I'm, I am personally, uh, totally happy to do that. Right. Um, but in the end, like it's, it's up to them to decide what they want to do and, and, and they write the laws and they can do the fuck they want and they can implement whatever they want. And the idea is that, is that the network is sufficiently decentralized that it's uh, overtly too complex or too difficult to, you know, really be able to do, to, to stop it. Right. And the same thing with Bitcoin, and everything else out there, governments have tried to stop Bitcoin. They have not been able to do it. So yes. And, and to be honest, I don't think any government has ever been successful at, at uh, shutting down any peer to peer network that is properly decentralized. Right. Like, that's that's never it's never been the case that any government has been able to stop a properly decentralized peer-to-peer -peer network so um for us we have to just lean on on our cryptography and our decentralization kind of attributes to, to protect the network from such uh, government overreach great does that make sense or, or any Response? Oh, yeah, yeah, that helps. But have you so far been approached by any government institutions asking any questions about how you work or maybe you had to submit any kind of information that they may need? Because I do know that this is how they operate. Um, they have done with other companies, but mostly centralized ones. I just don't know how it works with decentralized ones at this point. Um, how do I answer this question? This is a tricky question to answer. Um, sounds like they sounds like they made you to sign some kind of NDA already. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to answer that question. To be honest with you, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what I am or am not am able to say on this topic. I'll, I'll put it that way. Okay, I think that says everything. Cool, I brought up uh, M and Equinox. What's up? Hi, Mary, can you hear me? Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, I have a question um, about uh, it's relating to marketing, Chadby's uh, favorite topic. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with uh, tradingview.com, uh, deleting financial data provider in the retail space. Um, there you have two sections. You have traditional finance and then you have crypto. If you choose crypto, you can choose between centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges. And I would like to see TorChain providing data so I can see um, see all the prices for room, for all the pools that TorChain Tor has, I'd like to see them on um, on uh, tradingview.com. Because uh, yeah, do you have a do you have a contact there or anything like that? I'd love to get in touch with them. Well, let's uh, see what we can do. I think, but, I, th yeah. I think it's pretty easy because Trader Joe, Pancake Swap, Sushi Swap, Uniswap, and a handful of other vexes I haven't even heard about. And now that TorChain is, I mean, top three 
volume wise um, among Texas, I think it's very important to be this being there. Can you imagine, you know, hundreds of thousands of crypto enthusiasts are spending hours a day on tradingview.com. So it's just about being visible where the enthusiasts are spending hours a day, you know, it's free. Cool, yeah, thanks for the suggestion. I'll, uh, I'll look into that. Sure. Thanks. And by the way, much of credit to your guy for your guys' works. I mean, I've been listening on these spaces for almost two years and during the bear market, you're always happy and uh, enthusiastic and, and all these kind of things. I mean, room price goes from 20 to sub, uh, sub one and you're still there enthusiastic and building and pushing. So a lot of credits to you guys. Yeah, I mean, I probably say this every week, but like, honestly, it's so hard to be pessimistic, even when price was was down. It's like it, it, it never felt like anything was down because, uh, you know, we just had such product market fit and just kept uh, building something that we knew is like yeah, really important to the space. So, like, thanks for for coming on and listening and, and obviously to everyone that, um, you know, listens, listens to these things. Um, it's, it's been very interesting because you have Torchain is, um, is among um a handful of other projects that has seen like the fundamentals at all time high and the token price at all time low at one at one uh, like say for say three four months ago so it's been very 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 interesting to see that eventually the market catches up cool thanks, thanks bye uh and me there Oh, yeah. Um, I was uh, just kind of wondering about your thoughts of the future team or teams of Thorchain, or will it ever just be a complete machine that just goes on running forever without any more um, doxed people needing to work on it at all? You're talking about ossification, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, Chad B, do you do you, do you plan to uh, never retire and and like until the day you die be working <laughs> protocol? Um, no, I do not plan that. Um, we've always kind of had a mentality of like what we call plan obsolescence and so forth and so on. And I actually, I would like to see nine realms to do plan obsolescence as well at some point into the future when it when it makes sense to do so, which is definitely not now. Um, I started the process to do plan obsolescence earlier this year, and I was kind of leaning on nine realms to kind of pick up the slack and whatnot. And um, I started to work on a new project called Archeo, which I'm still trying to get that done. But some things kind of happened that I wasn't really quite happy about, and some things I really wanted to see happen that wasn't get, that wasn't you know going to to arrive. And um, I just kind of wasn't. Uh, very happy about the direction of the project and so that kind of forced me to come back to to, to the to the fold of, of this Thorchain land and, and kind of go back full time on this project and you know help get things done like streaming swaps for example right that was that came in part because i came back to the project i had the concept for doing it coded it implemented it pushed it through got everybody to you know approve it review it blah 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 and i finally got pushed through and 
and you know with the more and then the product's doing well in part to that right so um i, I there's some more things i want to see happen i do want to see uh, some optimization things happens i want to see uh you know limit orders to happen maybe perpetuals possibly maybe i'm not really sure yet but there's a handful of things i want to i want to do but there is not an infinite thing that I want, of, of things i want to do right to me it's just like i want this network to, to be it's fully realized in terms of the vision of what it can be becoming a, like the largest exchange in the in the world crypto exchange in the world and if there's anything that that is a blocker or a barrier to accomplishing that that goal i want to make sure that thing gets done right either by me or by nine realms or somebody but i want to make sure that like there's somebody you know uh kind of inside the the, the, the dev team that kind of has that long-term viewpoint uh and is you know will push hard for whatever things we need to change about the protocol to ensure we get to that place for example right now i've been working on uh batch outbound transactions so we can sign a single bitcoin transaction that has you know 100 transfers within that single transaction which allows our tss to scale more or less infinitely right and so we can we could you know, the earlier there's a guy in the stage asking about scalability these are one of the things of scalability that i would like to solve right and this is this would become a barrier to becoming a large larger exchange than binance just because tss can't sign that many outbound transactions you know per hour or per day or whatever the hell the, number, the thing is and so <clears throat> if i see anything that is that is problematic that uh, would, would block us to becoming the biggest thing in, in crypto then i will focus on that thing and get get that thing done where the hell that is that being said um i have i am a serial entrepreneur by nature i've built many companies in silicon valley in a web 2 world uh, and I've done, you know, um, one, and I'm working on RQ as well, uh, in Web three world. And I also have more ideas in the back of my head that I've been, I've written down and 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 thought about very deeply, you know, over the last few years, in fact, that I still want to build, right? That that uh, that are a credit not just for crypto people, but for people outside of crypto. How can we use crypto to solve problems outside of crypto? Like that's that's kind of one of the things that nobody's fucking doing in our, our, our industry right now. And I have a you know an idea or two around that idea, and I and I can't build those things and work on Thorchain full time. So I'm kind of in this weird kind of tough spot of like, I want Thorchain to become you know what I want it to become, and I need to do put in the time and the effort to make sure that it gets to that place. But it also I can't you know uh, work more than you know 24 hours in a day in a sense, and so I can't do all the things that I want to do or build all the things I want to build or create uh, tokens and networks whatever that attribute and create things of value and, and, and better society in one form or another. So it's, it's definitely like, I don't see myself retiring as a person anytime soon. I'm 41 years old today and you know, and I should be retiring in my sixties or seventies, but probably it won't fucking happen unless my brain is broken or, or my fingers are broken or whatever. So I, I, I do see myself long-term aligned to Thorchain and making sure that I stick around for as long, however length I need to stick around to make sure that I can achieve the goal that I want to see happen. Is that a decent enough answer? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I remember from uh, my time at Shapeshift when we went from a company to a DAO, um, kind of the message that Eric kind of, you know, in between the lines is that um, we didn't just want to be a DAO in name and the same people. We the kind of the idea was to rotate out and kind of even though there would always be someone there working on it it wouldn't necessarily be the same per the same people at the same time forever 
So, yeah, I like to think of it as like you're going to need maintenance at the very least if it's going to last 20 years. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's good just not to have as much uh, evangelist you've been for the, the project. Um, we'll definitely miss you if, if and when you leave. Um, but I, I think it's all be the better to really prove out like that this protocol exists um, without any single person's um, control. Or um, yeah, I I would say that like I agree with you know Shapeshift's viewpoint or or Eric's viewpoint on this. Like my my skills, you don't necessarily need me on this project as a as a straight up developer. There's lots of people in the world who are developers. You can hire them off the fucking street in a matter of speaking, right? Maybe you might need me for like the more complex or uh, features because it's it's very complex and it integrates a lot of other things and other like mechanisms of, mechanisms of, of economics, but. In a high at a high level, like you don't necessarily need me as a developer, especially once we've shipped all the major features. Once we've gotten like you know, limit orders out and memoless transactions and maybe perpetuals and like and when we we got a, a more or less a feature freeze. And at that point, all the changes after that point are just like, okay, how do we scale up TSS? How do we scale up this? How do we, you know, reduce the observations on the network by hundred or four hundred X? Like blah blah blah, these kind of things. You might need my input of how to get there, or I'll just have some ideas on how to get there, right? And there's other people who have ideas as well, of course. Um, but over time, like like my skill set, my knowledge, my abilities become less and less important or less and less valuable for the for the protocol. And you just need like you know people like you know the Nymos people as I've been doing for a while to help keep things afloat and you know fix you know mainnet bugs that we that show up from time to time or whatever the hell it is. And and that they are they are they are quite capable of doing uh, as you know as they as they've been doing for a while. But Nine Realms has not been um, able to put as much time as they as what I would like to see onto the core protocol to see advance to the next stage, um, to see it you know to address the issues the larger the larger the um, longer time frame issues that are kind of seeping that we are kind of seeing you know on the edges in, in the sense and they're and they're more focused on like the here and the now like the, the the productions that we the production issues that we had like you know last week or whatever it is and not about like well how do we do like batch outbound signing is something that like the team uh not everybody on that team kind of agrees with that mentality that we need it at all even though i could i can clearly tell you as i see you know light in the sky that we, we definitely are going to need that at some point uh into the future for sure so uh, but once we get all these kind of scalability things fixed, which I'm, you know, that's being addressed now, and we'll continue to tweak things as we, as we need to, and get those major features landed, like the limit orders, for example, and what else, you know, is kind of planned, then my need on the, the requirement, my my involvement in this project reduces as long as we have the right team that is still maintaining the project and getting things done and, and that kind of stuff. So as soon as I feel like my skill sets aren't needed anymore, and there's a team that still remains that is, or devs that are still remaining that can, you know properly maintain these, the, the protocol and not drive it into the fucking ground, uh, then, then that's the point that I would like to leave the project and start working on Archeo or other things that I would like to build and, and construct. And uh, you can always leave new features for orcs of Thorchain, right? Or would you be hesitant about trusting different people? <laughs> similar we, projects claiming we, similar things. Yeah, we talked about 
they were there was a, t- a contentious time for a, a while back uh, where it was really kind of like the OGs versus Nine Realms kind of situation where the OGs like myself and Lena, for example, wanted to do, you know, uh, savers and we wanted to do lending. We wanted to do the algo stable and we wanted to do these things that are not the AMM. And, and a lot of people on the Nine Realms side um, kind of just wanted it to be just the just an AMM, like just have it be the white paper and let's not add on these extra, you know, uh, capabilities on, on top of the protocol. And that was just like a very different viewpoint like two neither one was right or wrong necessarily but there were just like two different viewpoints of what we see the future of this protocol to do right and there was a contentious time for a while there that like myself and others were kind of considering of of well maybe we'll just like we'll leave Thorchain alone and then we're gonna you know fork it and create a new Thorchain that will be more kind of like bleeding edge in a sense uh and that that protocol was actually going to be called alpine by the way if you were just curious about it and that obviously never came to came to fruition um you know the team could kind of align to you know to to get to get aligned and and see that head down the same road so that was never really needed but uh there was a time when that was that was a real possibility we were really considering of actually forking the chain and creating a second uh uh network that would be you know run by myself and other the other OG people and building a new team around that, but that never happened, of course. Thanks. Uh, I'll let other people talk. Yeah. So just like adding on to this a little bit because I think it's an interesting conversation. Like Pluto has talked about this a lot, just like getting to the point of ossification, and like obviously we're not there yet because there's still features yet to be shipped. But like as you know, the protocol becomes more and more complete then the goal like slowly shifts more and more towards ossification and getting things to the point where, uh, you know, they, there's no new major features being added to the chain. And pretty much everything that is going out is, uh, you know, just fixes and optimizations and just kind of tuning the engine because, you know, the more and more you keep messing with, you know, such a machine like, like Thorchain, the, the higher risk that, you will irrecoverably like fuck something up and it is you know obviously we don't want to lose this beautiful beautiful thing that we got here so like it's not like there's going to be i i don't think there's going to be active like new features developed on on thorchain forever because at some point there's you know there, there's risk to everything that's added and the, the worst thing that we could possibly do is somehow uh you know, mess this uh, mess this whole thing up. So like, I, everything everything trends towards the direction of ossification. And obviously, super glad that obviously Chad, you're here to uh, help push it forward uh, and like you know get new features out because obviously we're not we're not done in in the vision. But uh, you know, there's still a lot of optimizations and like little fixes and things that are going to need to be going out. And I, I'm not even sure that this. Like, I mean, I'm sure that updates will become less frequent in the future. I'm talking like, you know, years in the future. But I mean, I still think that the day-to-day management and the protocol, like, you know, nodes are still going to need to, uh, you know, update their infrastructure. They're going to need to think about adding new chains. So it's like, it's uh, it's difficult to say that, you know, things will ever stop because things are always going to be changing. And, you know, the nodes are going to have to adapt to whatever is going on in that moment in time. Yeah, I mean, I agree. 
it'll, it'll never completely ossify. We'll always be adding new chains or removing chains or dealing with scenarios or situations that are external to us that affects us in one form or another. Um, but, you know, and I also agree with what Kyle was saying about there's going to come a time when we don't really want to add many new features, right? Like, there will always be a time you, you can always add more features. There's never really like a shortage of things that you could add. The question is, is the is the time it takes to do so, is the maintenance that it takes to do so, is the risk that it takes to do so worth the ROI that you get from that that feature? That's what really kind of how I think about it, right? What is what is the amount of work required? What is the amount of risk that's required? And what is the amount of ROI that you get back from that feature? And that's like how I think about, you know, whether or not we want to add this feature, feature A or feature B. And from my opinion, like everything we've added thus far has been like, you know, relatively speaking, not a lot of work. And, you know, we can keep the risk in the minimum just by, you know, scaling the feature up very slowly over time and, and not kind of putting too much in, in one place at one time. But then it has like very significant effects to what we can do as a protocol, right? Like an algo stable would be massive for the protocol in terms of what it can do for it. Lending can do amazing things for it. Limit orders can create instantaneous streaming swaps. Like these things are not like small little like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like Thor names to me is like, like doesn't have a high, a high ROI for it. Doesn't it's not a strong demand for doesn't create a strong demand for Rune. It's nice because it, it helps you know um, you know our our partners to be able to have like shorter memos, which is good, right? It's, it's it has value to it for sure, but it's not like going to be the thing that like it's not going to replace um, um, you know uh, what's it called unstoppable domains or something like this. Like it's not going to become this like major thing. And so like. We could talk about so many features we could add to the protocol, but to be honest, the vast majority of them aren't going to be like that worthwhile, right? In uh, an example of that would be like a secondary marketplace for Thornings. People have been asking me for this for like a long time. Like I get poke about it every once in a long while, and they they feel the the feature has been rugged from them, and they're all upset about it and whatever else. But like the reality is, that like. People aren't really buying Thor names outside of, you know, a handful of people who are using, who are integrating with swaps. It's not like a hugely demanded feature. And a, and a secondary market for it is even less demanded than the primary market. So it's just like, it's just not worth the time or effort. And so I don't, after I get done with like the major things that I want to get done over the next like six-ish months or whatever the hell the time frame is, uh, with the exception of maybe perpetuals, I just don't see what else we could do that would be of high value to the protocol other than just like tweaks and improvements to like small changes to make things more performant or uh, optimized right so I, I do think probably within the next you know six months or maybe 12 months that the the feature set of thorchain will probably be ossified and we won't be adding any new major features uh that i can think of and at that point it's just about you know, make that thing mature as fuck and reliable as fuck and have it be just like butter, just moving so smoothly and trading huge volumes that, and you know, like it's nothing. Answer a question in the comments. Yeah, memo list is still planned. That's a Q1 type thing. Like right now it's just optimizations and things around, uh, you know, like batched outbounds and TSS and, and things like that. So, uh, new 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 features are coming. You know, Q one. Uh, it's going to be you know quiet Q four here just to get the engine uh, under control, essentially. Also, uh, Finblue, what's up? 
Hey, I was wondering, Chad, uh, on the last spaces, when we were talking about integrations, you had mentioned that something huge was coming, but you couldn't say what it was. I was just curious if that was the, uh, the Li-Fi uh, thing from earlier today, or maybe the, uh, the ledger was uh, um, alluding to, uh, to a deeper integration in a tweet, or is it possibly something else? Uh, well, both of those were in my mind, and there's more than that. Um, ones, uh, ones that are just as big, if not larger, than those that, I, that we have that we're uh, in conversations with. So there's there's much more coming down than, than just those two, but those two are obviously on their own right uh, quite massive. Great, I'm all tingly inside. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. And yeah, just keep in mind, everybody, like the sales cycle for these integrations is so long. Yeah, I'm, I'm not talking just like you know. Uh, like they announce it and then they can ship it out in like, you know, a, a couple of months uh, for the trust file integration. That was, you know, uh, 14 to 18 months of, you know, from talking to the team to finally shipped in all of their trust wallet versions. So it, it's definitely no small lift to get the, the bigger the, the company, the slower moving uh, it is. And it goes with how many users they have as that scales up the longer it takes to ship these things. So like, uh, you know, just cause you know, someone announces something is even if they say it's around the corner, like, you know, stuff takes a, a lot of time, especially when you're dealing with a ton of users and just like slow moving companies that want to be, you know, safe and, and risk averse. And uh, yeah, just, just keep that, keep that in mind. Like this stuff takes like a huge amount of time to actually get moving for, for the ones that really matter. So yeah, huge, huge stuff coming, obviously Li-Fi ledger being, two giants in this space yep absolutely and it's not even just like those integrations like in the sense of like new deck integrations or, or wall integrations there are conversations that 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 we are having as a team with uh large institutions who want to like earn yield right and so they want to deploy either as an lp or as a saver and they want to deploy you know not you know five hundred thousand dollars but you know tens of millions of dollars talking about right and so like that hasn't happened yet and i can't go into detail of course for for obvious reasons but but like there are a lot of people who are kind of um different institutions and different companies that are very intrigued by what it is that we're doing as a community and they want to participate as a wallet or as a dex or just provide liquidity or whatever and some of these things fall out and they that doesn't actually happen and sometimes that does happen and it's really hard to know, you know, along that process, which direction it's going. And sometimes it, everything's going great and then they just fucking, you know, ghost you or a lesson, which is just like this weird thing that does happen sometimes. Uh, and, and you try to like rekindle some conversations and it just ain't going to work. And maybe it's going to work later on. Who the fuck knows? But that's why partially I don't want to go into details about like, you know, who we're talking to is because. A, they don't want to be, you know, be kind of doxxed in that way without getting further down the road. And B, is I don't want to like start telling people, oh, we get this big deal with this big giant wall and boom, this is happening downstream. And then three months later, it falls through for one reason or another. Like it just, I don't want to get people's hope up about something, some integration until it's more like we know with a, with a very high degree certainty that it's going to happen, you know? Right. That's why we don't. That's why, I mean, the, the proper practice is just not say anything until they announce that they're doing a ThorChain right. integration. Uh, that's just the, the best way to do it. Because if, if they say it, then that's, that's totally fine. But it's it's not right for us to announce it for, uh, you know, people that could be, you know, integrating integrating ThorChain for, for us to say that um, they're doing it. So 
that's kind of the the tack that we've taken. It's it's the right way to do it. So yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, we we've even had like you know contracts like like being signed right for for swap things, and it's like oh yeah, uh, well oh, more changes like you know things things need to things need to change like this way or that way. And yeah, it's just month long processes that are just like I never would have thought it, it would take that long to to do all this stuff. But you know, I'm kind of in the middle of it right now, and uh, yeah, it's just like it's slow moving with the with the big ships but um you know they're going to bring a, a huge amount of visibility and swap volume and stuff like that yeah those big ships have like different concerns too right they have like legality concerns that nobody else really gives a shit about right and and you know how are we going to get this to happen and that to happen and it's just, i can't go into detail but like it's it's so hard to move them because you have to get so many people to agree to it within their own institution which and then just getting the door in the door is generally fairly difficult, you know. And then you get the door, and then you get, you get like one guy in the team to be like a big fan of it, and then the other four are, are you know, you know, cold on the idea, or whatever. And they need to work them over, and I mean, it just I think to like just alleviate all their concerns and like what if this happens and what if that happens and what if the swap goes like this or what if the law changes like this and you kind of have to go through that process. It's just as Kyle says, it's just very, you know, time expensive. And, and it takes a fucking forever. But once those things land and those things come to fruition, like LiFi is obviously a very recent example, like the value that it provides to the network and to the community is just like, you know, fucking awesome. It's great. It's, it's how we're, we're going to, you know, beat Uniswap in the end is just by getting every major uh, wallet and DEX and institution to integrate uh, directly as we can and then just get all the volumes naturally passing through ThorChain instead of Coinbase and Binance. What's been super cool though is seeing how many people that that work at these huge like you know wallets, dexes, like everything, like everyone in the space. It, it's crazy to see how many people that work at these places are Thorchads and, and have been like you know like keeping up with it or just like you know sort of not or like but they they all know what's going on. So like it, it is crazy to see how many people are like paying attention, even though even though you might not think people like uh, pay attention. There's definitely a lot of people that 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 do pay attention. Uh, so that like it is really cool to see how many uh, Thorchads are out there building in the space on working on other stuff. You know what's really fat, funny, and, and I, I've noticed this shift, and and, and Cal, I, I'm wondering, you probably noticed it as well. But like, I remember in the early, early days of like when we first started doing integrations and started having conversations and all these things, that like a, a large segment of the wallets and dexes or whatever else we were talking to would have like be so confused about the idea of like Bitcoin ETH trades. I don't know. It just, it was like, it really struck me as something very unusual or just, just like non-logical. Like, like, why would I want to be able to trade between Bitcoin? ETH? Like, it's just like this weird fucking mentality that made no fucking sense at all. And then today, like, I feel like that's not even really a thing anymore. Like, we barely hear people kind of saying that kind of shit anymore, which is great. I'm just like, all right, I don't know what happened over the last like year and a half or two years, whatever it was, but like, all right, people got over that silliness, and now they're like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, yeah, Bitcoin ETH, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of crazy. Like you, you can literally see like the narratives kind of like like waiting and uh, like like waxing and waning. Like they're they're growing and then they shrink. And like right now, like the, the past month, like my my Telegram inbox has been just like. Like I can't keep up with it anymore. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. And like you know, there's some things that like make a lot of sense, and there's a lot of things that like really don't make much sense for us to integrate with. So it's like obviously like the goal is to get in every single big aggregator wallet and dex because that's where all the all the volume is. Then eventually the centralized exchanges start coming, tapping for liquidity. So we're already we're already seeing like hints of that uh, happening a bit. So 
the, the demand, like basically since the beginning of November, like the the inbound has just been like uh, so much because I people are definitely paying attention like outside of this little um, space. You just might not see people talking about it all the time. And I, you know, I can't blame them for not like talking about it all the time. Some people aren't just obsessed with this. Uh, like we are, <laughs> you know, kind of like we've been here for a while doing this, but some people are just like, Oh yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start using those swap services and, and things like that. And they, they see the demands on it. other people get super nerdy about it too. And they're just like, Oh my God, like, I didn't know you could, you could do this. Like, this is crazy. So we've had plenty of those conversations this month and uh anticipating as we just like keep outperforming and just like having like this kind of uh you know narrative form it's just going to increase inbound more and more and I, I you know i say this like on so many spaces but as we land bigger integrations it just makes it easier to land other big integrations and like trust wallet was obviously the first domino to fall there but like tr you know trust wallet falls into ledger falls into li-fi falls into like you know everybody else in the space like it only gets easier as there's more and more momentum built up behind the, you know, the massive tsunami wave. So, uh, yeah, yeah. One, I think one that last point. More. Yep. I think that last point is exactly the answer to to what you were saying, Chad. Of like how you know last bull run, everyone was like, oh well, there's no Bitcoin in DeFi. I don't think there's any demand for that. Like, look at the volume. There's there's zero. Why would anybody want that? But then as soon as like a few integrations land, and then now that the volume is there and people can see that, oh, of course people do want that, then it's just like the dominoes start to fall and the integrations start to land because of that. So now, like, no one's going to think it's crazy to want native Bitcoin. Yeah, there's going to be wallets that integrate Bitcoin because of ThorChain, <laughs> because they're like, there's actually some kind of like, you know, uh, interoperability within their own wallet of being able to act as the exchange between, you know, this coin, that coin, revenue source, user acquisition play, uh, like, we're, we're Bitcoin onboarding service at this point, you know, we're, we're the, the, the bridge between worlds here. So I'm sure there will be wallets, but ERC 20 only wallets right now that eventually add Bitcoin because uh, they're looking into ThorChain. Yeah, that was one of the funny things and, and also infuriating things is that like, it's like people would deny that Bitcoiners want DeFi or loans or something like this or swaps or something like this. And I'm just like, it's like if you had a bucket and inside the bucket was like a mouse and then you say, hey, this, this mouse could really use some water. And the guy goes, well, there's no water in there now. There's no demand for water because there's no water in this fucking bucket. And I'd be like, well, it's a fucking mouse. It drinks water. I think it wants water. We should put some water in the fucking bucket. And the guy's like, oh, no, well, there's no water in there now. There's no demand for it. <laughs> I'd just be like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> what are we, how did we get to this conversation? This is a And they fill the bucket up with water and drown the mouse. <laughs> then we put some water and like we start drinking the water it's like yeah i fucking knew they drink the water because it's a fucking mouse it wants to drink water why is it so fucking hard to understand why is your mind fucking blown right now this is obvious <laughs> that's a legendary analogy <laughs> i feel like some some memes need to spawn from this <laughs> there was there was somebody that was talking to me and i won't mention their name because i don't want to embarrass them but there was somebody talking to me and and they were like, well, we don't, we don't, we don't need streaming swaps. And I was like, well, why is that? I was like, well, you know, the average swap on ThorChain is like, you know, $10,000, right? Or the, the, like the top 90% 90, 90 or whatever the fuck the thing was. 
I was like, yeah, okay. And he's like, well, there's nobody who wants to swap large volumes to third chain. I'm like, well, that's because the fees are really fucking high. That's why nobody does it with you know a million dollar trade to third chain because the fees are fucking high. It's like, well, we're not seeing anybody trying to, to swap like large volumes, so you know there's no demand for it. I'm just like, what? What's wrong with your head? <laughs> the entire market is dictated by large volume trades. Like most of the volume of Uniswap, for example, is fucking whales coming through with large fucking trades. Like this is like blatantly obvious, but I go, getting kickback from somebody uh, that like, oh, we don't even need deeper pools. Why, why would we need deeper pools? Pools are deep enough. We don't need any, any pools to be deeper. I'm just like, are you crazy? <laughs> What are you thinking? We need the deepest pools we can possibly get. The more deep our pools get, the better price execution. And the deeper the pools get, the more trade volume will naturally happen. Like trade volume will increase almost in a linear linear way with the depth of the pools. So yeah, we want deep pools. Of fucking course we want deep pools. We want to give a fucking mouse some water. Of course we want to give a mouse some fucking water. Because it drinks goddamn water. What's the goddamn argument about here? Let's fucking move forward. Some deep ass fucking pools. Let's get some streaming swaps going. Stop with your nonsense and let's fucking move forward. <laughs> it is so ludicrous. Yo, uh, creamy. What's up, guys? Why isn't Rune at ten yet? I'm just kidding. Um, I hope I hope soon though. But I just wanted to say, um. The bankless YouTube was was really good. I like that. Thanks, Chad. You did a good job on that. Um, I had fun watching that. And Eric too. I don't think he's on here, but I thought that was that was uh, long awaited. So that was that was fun to watch. Um, one question that I had was longer term, and I don't know if this has been addressed. I just got on like ten minutes ago, or or prior. I haven't really been on one of these in a while. But is there a plan long term to be able to post Rune as collateral from a lending perspective to borrow against? Um, not really. And the reason why that is, is because when you open a loan, the value that the protocol gets from that process of opening a loan gets from the, from the buying, the burning of the room token. Like, like it just kind of causes the room price to go up. Like it creates an inherent buy pressure and burn pressure on the, on the asset, which makes the token price goes up, which makes the pools more deep, which makes the bond more the increases security of the network, which increases the trade volume, blah, 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 all these things. So if you use Rune as the collateral, you're not doing the buy part. Buy part's already occurred, right? You already own, you already own the Rune in your wallet. You already bought it, right? And all you're getting from it is the burn pressure. And the burn pressure is like, you know, you don't really get a lot of value in terms of the room, like the, the effects on the room price from the burn pressure. Unless you're getting to a place where you're like burning 20% or 30% or something really significant, uh in in the supply you're really not pushing the price all that much what's actually pushing the price more than that it's actually the buying of the room like it, it actually has more effect to the room price than the actual burning of it and then beyond that the it's actually the the cognitive thing that happens in the psychology of the market that says oh hey uh rune is ultrasound money quote unquote right after i'm saying that it actually is but i'm just like making an analogy to ethereum rune is a, a ultrasound money it's a better investment I'm buying ETH or Rune or whatever because it's going to do that. So like that just creates a psychological element. So the reason why we don't really use Rune as, as a collateral asset is because uh, it doesn't really provide as much value to the protocol as, as a whole, right? But uh, on, on the other side, it would create probably sell pressure uh, on the Rune asset, if anything, just because 
you already cut the buy pressures already occurred you already hold the room you want you burn it out of, out of existence and then you mint back half of it or one third of it or some number and then you sell that rune into usdc into bitcoin into something else and so you're actually creating a net like a net negative on the protocol when you use a rune as a collateral versus when you use bitcoin and in the end what we're really trying to do as a protocol like in general is that like you know we want everybody to come to us right we want like we want somebody to sell their bitcoin right and and buy rune we want people to sell their ethereum and buy rune we want them to sell their solana and buy rune or whatever the asset might be and the more we do that that's how you change the market cap of rune right is you get people to sell one asset and acquire rune and you're actually reducing this the market cap of bitcoin when you do this and you're increasing your kind of uh migrating or transferring the market cap of bitcoin into a into rune into a, into our network uh when you actually open up a loan right and that's what we want to do we want we want more capital we want exoner's capital from outside the network to come you know to be sold and then bought uh, our own asset into the network which is why lending is what lending is but that's what drives value into the actual ecosystem itself which obviously drives value into the rune asset itself inherently so that's the reason why we don't really use Rune as a collateral asset. And right now it's just basically Bitcoin and ETH. Even if we were to open up lending up for like Doge or something like this, like nobody really gives a shit in the Doge land. The, the amount of Doge loans that we open are, you know, not very, not gonna be very much relative to what Bitcoin and ETH is doing anyway. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess what you were saying at first, yeah, well, I didn't really think of it that way, but that makes sense. On the flip side, let's say longer term, obviously, because I don't think lending is big enough for it to make a dent now, but since since people that are taking out loans, and I'm sure this has been asked before, but just came into my mind, it, it creates, you know, obviously buy pressure on the rune side and, and burn pressure, which helps rune price. It, obviously, that could go the other way, right? Like, if people are rushing to close out their loans and things like that, is there... I mean, do you think there's a substantial risk of obviously ruin price will go down, but I mean, is there a chance of any sort of like, I don't, God forbid I say Terra, but like, is there a chance of like a death spiral type situation where everyone's rushing to close loans and room just gets absolutely eviscerated? Yeah. Well, so in, in the current moment, the, the clean answer to that is no. And the reason why I say that is because the, the cap of the lending is like, I think like 1% or something like this of the market cap of, of room. So there's not really a terror-like scenario that can happen because, you know, the most you can mint back is 1%, which is fucking nothing. In comparison to Terra, there was like the Luna market cap was, uh, I'm probably going to get these numbers wrong and I apologize for getting them incorrectly. It's been a long fucking time. But they were like the market cap of Luna itself was, I think, like, I want to say 40 billion-ish or something like yeah, this. I and think that's what and, it was. and UST was like, 50 or 60 or some larger larger number so that's a lot of like the, the market cap of usd was larger than that of, of of luna and that creates a lot of risk right that causes a lot of panic that creates a lot of death spirals right because of this thing and everybody who sells their ust into luna you are increasing the amount of pressure or risk to the people remaining people who are remainingly hold their ust and so it creates more but that's why it creates a death spiral because a death spiral happens, in my opinion, when, when there's pressure on you as a holder of an asset or whatever to do a specific action. And when you uphold that, that when you do the thing that you're pressured to do and like sell your USD to Luna, for example, if that, that increases pressure for the remaining people, that's a death spiral. If it decreases the, uh, the remaining pressure on the remaining people, that's not a death spiral. 
right? It'll create, it'll create reflexivity for sure. And you might have a couple of loops around the spiral, but you're going to head towards the center and stop. Whereas a death spiral spirals outward for, for infinity, right? And you'll go to fucking zero at that point. Yeah, so it's a wrong word. Current, right. So in its current state, no, it is it's only, it's, a, it's capped. It has very little risk to the protocol, blah, blah, blah. And at this point, we're just like throwing the idea out there into the open market, seeing how things react, see how people behave, see if our uh, economic assumptions, market psychology assumptions are correct or incorrect with this new novel and experimental concept and idea. idea. And we're just kind of letting it kind of run for a while and see how it works. So thus far, I've been quite happy, actually. I've actually been pleasantly surprised of how well it's, per, it's performed in the last uh, few months. That doesn't mean that it's working. I mean, we're, it's been working until now. It doesn't mean that it's going to work tomorrow or in six months from now or 12 months from now. So that's why I always said that we don't know if lending actually works, the design actually works until we've gone through a full bear and a full bull. So that's, there's very little risk for that sense. But if you change the, the cap and you say, you know what, we're going to remove the cap, hypothetically. We're going to remove the cap. And then, you know, lending goes fucking bananas. Everybody's, you know, depositing their Bitcoin because they want this like no liquidation, you know, blah, blah, system, whatever it is. And, and it goes crazy. Now, and you get that same top heavy situation where, the, the value of the derived assets of the collateral is worth more than the value of rune. That's what we call being top heavy. In turn, we call it called being top heavy. And we don't like that idea. That's, that's just too, too much risk, too much danger. Not very good. Bad idea. That's, that's what Terra did, right? Yeah. And the way that we've been, one idea that we've been kind of floating around just to, 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 to protect us from that scenario is that we can put a cap on the total percentage. So we got 500 million rune in total supply, not circulating, but total supply. And uh, we can put a cap, let's just, let's just call it, uh, for, to make the number simple, we'll just say, we'll call it 10% for now. And so, so that's, this, that just means that, you know, no more than 50 million rune uh, is, is acquirable back from, to be minted back, no more than 50 million rune, right? So if, if, the, if, we, if we burnt 50 million rune, whatever, to, to open all these loans, and then the room price goes down relative to those those collateral. Well, now you get a problem because we can only mint back fifty, but we actually need sixty million or, or seventy million or some higher number. And so the solution to this to help us to not spiral to some crazy fucking scenario is to say we only actually have fifty. We're only going to do fifty, right? So if you if it, if we need fifty two, that means that when you close your loan, your collateral is going to get some kind of haircut, right? Like a one percent haircut or two percent haircut, depending upon how far beyond that 50 number that we are, right? And so the part of the idea of this is that, yes, it caps how much loans can be open, which we don't wanna to go too fucking heavy and crazy and be irresponsible in this context. But we also wanna make sure that like, if things start going south in the sense that Rune is going down and, and we, we kind of approach that 50 million you know, number, more or less, that's gonna be minted back if loans were to be closed right now. Uh, if we were to do that, we want people to start leaving now not leaving tomorrow, but leaving now, right? And the act of leaving, right, because of the haircut, rebalances things back to, to a, a state of balance. So if you were to have a, you know, a terror-like uh, uh, race to the door, you know, situation with all the loans, you're only going to mint back the 50 million. No matter how many people leave, no matter what the fuck happens, no matter what the price of fucking rune is, it don't fucking matter. The network will only take on, you know, 50 million of mint, being mint back into, into supply. And because of that, it de-risks the protocol and it, it applies the risk to the, to the lender, right? 
saying that if you want to close your loan, go ahead and close it, but you're going to get a little of a haircut when you do it. Or you can just sit tight. Don't fucking do anything. Wait for the market to return. Wait for room's price to you know go back up again tomorrow or you know whatever it is and get back 100% of, of, your, of your collateral, either or those two things. So that's like a way for us to like basically place the risk not on the protocol, but place the risk on the actual lenders themselves, borrowers themselves, which to be fair – you know, it's not too much to ask, considering that what we're giving them already is pretty fucking sexy and pretty, you know, amazing compared to everything else in the industry. So it, it doesn't. It, I don't. I'm not too, you know, hurt by it in some sense, right? If we can put the CR uh, min and max at two hundred percent, so it's a fifty percent LTV in all cases and scenarios, that will cause this thing to really kind of pop off. I think just because it's, it's better than every other loan in the entire industry, uh, objectively. So that's true. Other than other than protocol risk. And then the last thing they're like to be worried about is just kind of this this scenario where you, you get a haircut, right? You're not going to get liquidated. You're not going to lose all your money and it's gone forever, blah, blah, blah. No, you can get a haircut if you choose to get a haircut. Or you can just kind of sit, sit back, don't close your loan, wait until tomorrow when the prices return or six months from now or whatever the number is, and get 100%, 100% of your loan back. Up to you. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Thanks for clarifying that. All right, I'll hop off. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Green. Hey, guys, can I ask a question? Is that all right? Yep. Shoot. All right. Shoot. Awesome. Great. Thank you. By the way, this has been one of my one of my favorite spaces. I'm learning so much. I love your project deeply. Um, I just had a question about um, just uh, I am by by far I'm not a technical person whatsoever. Uh, but if I wanted to uh, to become uh, a validator, I mean, I mean, from my understanding, uh, 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 a Thorchain validator, you have to run all all the nodes of all the other chains or are you able to say hey i'm only going to run three or four or uh, forgive me if that sounds like a stupid question but <laughs> what, what, no, would we cost, just what would it cost for me to become a validator if i wanted to yeah we just we're talking about this earlier actually um but yes you have to run in all of the nodes and the cost is you first have to buy enough rune churning which is probably around eight hundred thousand or nine hundred thousand rune so get get your rune or some friends room to contribute or whatever, or some community members. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I need to run all the nodes and all the uh, full nodes, whatever. That probably costs you, depending upon how you choose to run it, it can cost you anywhere from, you know, five or $6,000 a month to an upfront cost of like 10000 or $15,000 in upfront cost of physical boxes. And then, you know, running in, running in your mom's basement for, you know, real cheap, of course, and then have almost no operational cost or very little, I should say. Um, so you can do it however you want. And so even on, even on AWS, you can, you can reduce your costs if, if you use reserve instances instead of spot instances and, and pay significantly less than your AWS costs or your Google Compute or your uh, uh, DigitalOcean and whatnot. So it ranges. The, 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 the cost really isn't the, the operation of the node itself. That's just, you know, not that much money compared to the amount of room that you got to get kind of put together to, which is right now is like, you're talking about, you know, five or $6 million worth of room that's required to, to even run a validator today. Okay. And what is the maximum number uh, of, of nodes uh, that, uh, you know, what is the planned future? Right now it's hard coded at 120 uh, validators in total. Um, that number is just a, a fucking number. It, it can be increased, um, not arbitrarily. You could, 
you can increase it to you know probably a 200 or maybe even 250 without much issue although you might start to see you know the block time start to slip and get a little bit slower in the block times um whether or not we want to do that or not is a, obviously a debated topic and people can have different viewpoints <coughs> right now like <coughs> excuse me because the bond is so high right now relative to the lps i don't really see a need to increase it above that 120 to be honest with you it would be probably if anything be counterproductive for the protocol I don't think validators would vote to to allow more bond to come in because the more bond that comes in for validators, the more losses, not losses, but the less re, re, uh, rewards they earn, right? So if there's 80 nodes versus 120 nodes, they much rather be one of the 80 rather than one of the 120 because they're going to make more money on the one of 80 than they would on the one of 20. So it doesn't make sense to me that we increase beyond this the point that it already is unless we get to a place where like the pools get really full huge LPs coming in, these whale LPs coming in. Maybe it makes sense at that point, possibly. But until that happens, I'd say keep it where it is. Yeah, and if you don't have enough room to bond your own node, which is obviously like a, like a lot, uh, what you should look into is providing bond for someone else's node. Uh, and there's some, uh, in the ThorChain developer Discord, there's a channel where you can connect with uh, with community members who run nodes and you can be, become a bond provider. That's what a lot of people in the community do because uh, you, you can basically pool together capital between uh, groups of people and uh, contr all contribute towards that, you know, 800K number that you pretty much need to, to keep churn in at, at this time. So um, that, that's a really good option if you're looking to uh, earn some yield on the, the bond side, but, you know, don't have the technical chops to, to run a, a a ThorChain full node and keep up with all that, and especially if you don't have the uh, the the room to to churn in. All right, awesome. Thanks, thanks a lot. And then, just lastly, uh, just a bit of a personal question, but this has been an amazing two months for 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 the ThorChain project. What have you guys learned, and what have you what has surprised you? What have we learned in the last two months? What has surprised me? Uh, well, um, it surprised me how effective, um, streaming swaps was for product market fit. That, that was more, we were, when we first talked about streaming swaps, one of the legitimate concerns around the feature was that, okay, we're going to take less income, right? Less system income from these trades or swaps because we're going to give them better price execution. And which means LPs and nodes will earn less income, which, which is obviously not necessarily a good thing, but we wanted to kind of switch the strategy to be like more like an early stage startup. You don't really care about money per se. You just care about market share. You care about adoption. You care about brand recognition. You care about these things. And, but there was a concern that like that, that, that the, the yield of, of the nodes and the LPs would come down like too much. Right. And it would be like, wouldn't be very profitable and it would just cause some issues in that context. We knew hypothetically that if there was, you, if you did start to see like mega whales trading, you know, million dollar trades or $5 million trades or whatever, that, that, that would counteract that concern. But obviously we didn't have a, a very good sense of like, if that would happen or not, or how often it would happen or whatnot. And to my, to my, uh, to my, um, surprise and to my, my uh, pleasure that actually did happen. We saw a huge trade, massive fucking trades come through the protocol. Uh, and we've, and to this day, we still have, I think around 50%, maybe a little bit more now of the system income is coming from LPs 
as it is for um, rather than black awards. And that's about the same where it was before we put in the streaming swaps. But the difference is, is that the room price today is at $6 versus it was a $1 at the time that we implemented streaming swaps. And why is that important? Well, the value of the block rewards are now six times more valuable than they were three months ago, right? Because the price is obviously, you know, six since, since then. So to be, to maintain a 50% value in terms of the, um, uh, in terms of the, the system income of the, uh, of the swap fees and the block rewards, even though we saw a you know six x price change in room, that's pretty surprising. I was pretty shocked by that. You know, I was expecting the the that that number to go down to be you know you know eighty percent block rewards and twenty percent you know uh, swap fees. Or I was literally expecting that that number to drop, and I was a little bit concerned about it to be honest. But that didn't happen. It actually stayed where it was, despite even the, the like the the price change happening and six xing over a short period of time. That's pretty remarkable. I was pretty sh- sh- surprised at that. I don't know if. Thoreau or, or Cow have other ideas that they had in mind. Uh, not immediately. That's a good one. Yeah, just like, you know, seeing the the, the fees from that, uh, you know, like more than compensating for the fee. Because I remember bringing that up on spaces, like probably when you first brought up streaming swaps, I was like, but doesn't that mean there's just way less fees for, for the LPs and the nodes? But uh, instead having it be cheaper has just like, you know, made the volume so much higher. Yeah. So that, that's a big one. Um, thinking if anything else comes to mind, but uh, anything for you, Cal? Well, I guess to have quickly like perspectives change because, you know, people were definitely like in the summer, like, you know, people were like, Oh yeah, this isn't going anywhere. Like whatever. People were just getting pissed off for like no reason. And like, there's never any reason to be like, oh yeah, we're not gaining any momentum or adoption in my opinion, at least, but you know, uh, price action lags, you know, uh, based on what's actually happening. So like, uh, it, it is kind of sad to see like that. So many people just, just care about like, um, you know, uh, room price goes up. So then people care more. And it is kind of like disappointing to, to know that that's kind of the reality, but, um, you know, I guess that's, I guess it's true. So like, you know, we, we outperform everything and then people start paying attention and then we start getting a ton of inbound for integrations. I can't say that's a bad result at all, obviously, but, um, you know, it's never been a bad day in these spaces. It's always been like, all right, well, things are always looking up, uh, pretty much since we started doing these things. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you go back and you listen to all the spaces that you and I have been doing for, you know, forever here. And if you go back all the spaces and just re-listen to them over like every week for the last year, like we keep on talking about how fundamentally what we've done or what we've accomplished and how the, 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 um, how we reach new highs in terms of uh, KPIs, not in terms of price, but in terms of KPIs, like the important shit, the, the fundamentals, the things that actually show and prove actual economic uh, a contribution to the world or economic activity and that kind of thing. And like people don't really care about that, which is some kind of a funny thing. That, that's the real shit. That's the real fucking, you know, data that you really want to be paying attention to is like, where are the actual real data of this? And not just like how many people, how many people are, you know, pumping the price or whatever, because that's, that can be manipulated easily. But the actual fundamentals of the protocol have been doing extremely well for a very long period of time. And you can listen to all these spaces and find examples of that uh, happening throughout the last year or so. And we've been killing it as a fucking protocol. Like objectively, we've been killing it as a project protocol. And now that the 
price is finally kind of moving with the KPIs to your to cow's point. Yeah, we finally got like, you know, uh, integrations coming into us and asking to be integrated in one form or another, or, or integrations even integrating themselves. We had our first sets, for example, um, integrate with ThorChain and, and do, the, do, some, do some of their backend trading and swaps. Like that's pretty, it's kind of funny, but, just, but that's just how the way the market works, I guess. They care about the price and they care a little about the fundamentals. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people are, are here anyway. I mean, it is just it, it is what it is, and but it, it it brings a lot of attention to like you know what we're what we're doing right now. So I, I don't think it's like a, an objectively bad thing, just just an observation. And but it's been great to see so much uh, attention being paid over the past month, and you know I think things are going to keep trending in in that direction, or at least um, I hope so. And as adoption increases, like the, the more integrations. Uh, you know, that, that's like my whole focus, just integrations, because as we're as we just land in all these, you know, major apps, aggregators, DEXs, wallets, uh, just becomes that much more like essential core infrastructure than more Bitcoin liquidity keeps just being sucked into ThorChain. And then we just, you know, we, we eventually reach this critical mass where, yeah, we do set the Bitcoin price, uh, you know, for, for the entire world. Uh, and I, I have no doubt that day is coming. I'm sure people that are here like today, um, you know, can see like some, some glimpses of that. It's going to take a long time to get there, I think. But, uh, you know, I think these things tend to have like compounding effects where, um, you know, it's just acceleration. Like, you know, we're going at one speed today and tomorrow we go just a, a little bit faster. And then, um, you know, we just keep growing over, uh, over time until eventually like I, I we're going to be bigger than any centralized exchange out there. Yeah, a great example of that is, uh, you know, previous to ThorChain, there was like almost no trade volume of Bitcoin on your centralized exchanges for obvious reasons. Nobody else was fucking doing it. We were the first ones to do it. Maya was the second. Chainflip will probably be the third. Let's talk and so on. And today we see like, you know, one or two percent of the like trade volume of, of Bitcoin is, on, is passing through uh, ThorChain, which is like a huge you know, milestone in my opinion. And um, Eridanus put out a tweet the other day that was really good. And he was kind of showing how uh, ThorChain is now the fifth largest DEX, uh, sorry, fifth largest exchange, centralized or decentralized, that is trading uh, Bitcoin, which is kind of like, kind of mind blowing. We kind of like, we're like surpassing Kraken in, in trade volume, which is kind of like surreal to say it out loud, but it's fucking crazy, right? Like, but to your point, like, that the adoption of ThorChain is probably going to be an exponential thing and not a linear thing, I suspect. Well, I hope. Hey, guys. Hey, um, so my question was around, big fan of ThorChain, by the way, and uh, love your spaces every week. Uh, my question was around uh, outbound delays. So I know that the one-hour outbound delay currently is in place because uh, one hour is about enough time for like nine realms or you guys to react when something goes wrong. Um, but I'm assuming you guys figure out something is going wrong because there's alerts set up or you guys get paged or something. So basically something has to look fishy for you guys to notice it, I'm assuming. So I'm curious whether there could be um, some sort of a way where the outbound delays happen only when there is an alert fired or there is an in-out amount that doesn't match or something like that, but doesn't happen every single time. Um, because the, the main UX pain point right now for, for all the swappers is, is outbound delays, in my opinion. And if I had to guess um, how future competitors 
uh, steal a lot of volume from Torchain, that would be because, you know, either the slippage or, or the sp speed of execution there is much faster and smoother. Um, with, with, with streaming swaps, uh, slippage is largely, largely solved. But compared to Uniswap, for example, our outbound delays is painful. So uh, do you see us figuring out a way to securely, you know, being the keyword, becoming like Uniswap one day where we could go in and out of assets quickly once the swap is completed? Yeah. Um, so yes, there are like alerts and monitors that we have uh, to like alert us of kind of activity in the protocol. And that for the most part goes into the, the public discord. So it's not just me and Kyle and, and, and whoever else, but it's like the larger community. And to be fair, there's been uh, numerous times when there was some sort of issue or a problem with the protocol or unusual kind of trading or something. And just somebody in, the, in our own community just kind of like notices it and just like, hey, this is weird. What the fuck's this about? And then they kind of like, you know, at mention, you know, whatever, whomever they want to, whatever. And then all of a sudden it bubbles up to us and we take a look at devs and, you know, investigate. And maybe if we need to, we can pause outbound signing or whatever the fuck is we need to do. Um, so, but it, it's really a community effort. And so everybody's just kind of watching the Discord and watching view blocks and, and people have been successful in the past to point out issues before I, I was aware of it or even alerting, any alerting mechanism was aware of it. So it's not just like devs, but I think it's a larger community as well that's that's doing that. But you have a valid, valid concern around the idea that like delayed outbound is just kind of, you know, hurts the UX in a, in a sense. And it does. Um, that's why we're kind of trying to migrate to this whole swapper club concept, which is um, that that the delayed outbound applies differently to different people based upon their historical uh, relationship with the protocol. So you can develop kind of uh, a decentralized identity or have a clout or you can use whatever phrase or term you want to use to call it, but you can kind of like you know, earn credibility by just trading and swapping on the network. And the more trading and swapping on the network you get, the, you know, the more credibility you have. And so the network will just, you know, not delay your transactions as much as others. And because yours are not being delayed anymore, your traffic is not being included in the calculation to, to delay people who are new, who just are just a one-time swapper, you know, on, on Trust Wallet or some uh, random UI. So. Uh, we've done simulations, uh, myself and Orion, I think Orion's still in the audience. If he is, yeah, I think he is. Um, we've done simulations to, to kind of like figure out how effective Swapper Cloud is to reducing the delayed outbounds. It's actually very significant. I think oftentimes it's like um, on the lower end, like 60% uh, more efficient and on the higher end, 98 or 99% uh, reduction, which is great. And that doesn't include like it's probably more effective than even that is because um, because there's less transactions at any given time in the network because things get, get out faster. There's less overlap between transactions, which means there's less delay uh, of those transactions. And so I think it's kind of, it's, it's not, at, it's actually more effective than the numbers we actually ran. That's what I suspected, in fact. Um, that's was supposed to come out in 125 and it still may, it probably won't just because other things came up around mainnet related issues that we've saw the last like week or two um over thanksgiving we had this whole avax fucking bomb happen and we have to deal with that and other things as well 
And so uh, the focus, obviously, always is the most important thing is just getting the network to be safe, reliable, blah, 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 blah. So that will, will push Swapper Cloud if it has to. But if it doesn't get out on 125, it'll probably get out on 126, and, which is about, you know, in about two weeks or so. And, and then we'll see a significant reduction in, in the delayed upline. That's not to say that you will never see a one-hour delay of transactions uh, at all. Uh, that will certainly happen from time to time. That it'll be fairly rare. Like the scenario we just saw a few uh, a couple weeks ago where uh, somebody stole, like I think it was like $27 million with the stables or ETH or something like this from some smart contract, and they just like dumped it all in a very short period of time through ThorChain. <clears throat> That would trigger their their transactions, and it's probably almost everybody else's. It's the vast majority of everybody else's to be delayed an hour because this one guy did this one crazy thing, blah blah blah. Which is what we want anyway, right? If, this, if there's some sort of unusual trading or unusual activity like that, then we want to delay one hour, right? And I, I think we've just gotten to the place where, um, where we feel pretty good about the, the stability of the of the network itself, and we can feel pretty good about. Um, about not applying the delay as much as we have been over the last couple of years, but it's still, you know, smart and it still will apply it when we really want it to be applied. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. If something looks strong via some sort of an alerting mechanism or something like volatility is really high, that totally makes sense. But for normal situations, for you know, normal swaps, if we could just go in and out, um, I think that would uh, be really helpful for the U.S. Absolutely, and, and I think like we we're seeing that this particular problem more now because the trade volume has increased more than the room price. Because we were at like before all this started to happen a few months ago, we were doing maybe like I think like ten million a day or eight million a day in trade volume, and now we're doing like you know a hundred million, two hundred million, three hundred million. So we've increased the trade volume. Uh, a lot, but the room price has only increased 6x. And the sensitivity of the laid out pound has a relationship to the room price. The room price goes up, we have less sensitivity, blah, 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 so forth and so on. So that kind of like, that that dichotomy of, of the room price going up by 6x and the trade volume going up by significantly more than that causes there more to be more delayed outbounds than, than there was before all this thing happened. So we are we are seeing this problem now because we are we are like being crushed by by our own success, which is you know a good problem to have in a sense. Which is why we spent time to like, okay, how do we restructure delayed outbound to be you know more efficient and more smart about how it how it applies that delayed outbound to, so that we can have this major success of all this trade volume that we've been seeing, and then you know do another 10x from this point of the, of going from you know 200 million dollars. In volume to you know 20 uh, 200 uh, two, uh, 2 trillion right two billion uh, two, two billion trade volume so that this is hopefully going to make us closer to that as well but it, you know it may, it may not be right it maybe won't be efficient enough or smart enough maybe we'll have a second you know v2 of software cloud to make it even more efficient or we'll just increase the the or decrease the sensitivity of delayed up on in general by increasing the the numbers the, the mere numbers we'll have that conversation as right, yeah Exactly. Yeah. The, uh, like my uh, thinking was around something like virtual depth, where it automatically adjusts based on volatility, right? So if something like that, uh, where an uh, automated way of, of just having outbound delays uh, in some cases, but in, not in most cases, 
uh, would be nice. But I got to run to a meeting. I'll, I'll listen to the, your reply later. But thank you guys so much. Bye. Yeah, I think we'll wrap up the space right after this. But um, just the one last thought on that is like we we could just completely remove the outbound delay. That wouldn't be smart right now because there's still you know new features being added to the to the network, and we we've seen plenty of instances where bugs pop up months after new features are added. So I mean, I could see a future in you know in a couple of years where you know there's no new features added for like a year or two, and there's no production issues, and then you know we. Uh, have a real uptick in monitoring tools and just like automation. Because this also ties into Mamir V2, where nodes can uh, pause the network and pause individual chains, uh, you know, more autonomously. So what could happen is if nodes really up their own security architecture and we don't ship any new features for a while and, uh, you know, things are kind of humming along as they as they are, like some some time in the future, like you could really reduce or remove the outbound delays at, at some point in the future when things are relatively competent that um, that you won't lose funds as a as a result of that. Obviously, you need things to like level up to that point, step in that direction. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could see a point in the future where we don't have an outbound delay or it's really really short, like you know. A couple couple minutes and there's a lot of automated tools like you know checking you know inputs and outputs and you know doing tests and things like that to every single swap um you know I, you could see that happening in the next like couple of years i think yeah I mean, and relating to that you, you could do a thing where you kind of meet a halfway of uh setting the max outbound to being instead of an hour set to 45 minutes or 30 minutes or 10 minutes they could arbitrarily put it to whatever the hell you want so it's kind of a halfway between just shutting the whole thing off in and and making it closer to that that line you could just say all right uh max outbound delay is 30 minutes and, and of course we want to make sure we have the right monitoring tools you know at that point to to do something like that but i'm i'm, I'm open to the idea but i'm a little bit hesitant to remove entirely personally but that's just my opinion yeah, definitely not on the short term. Like, you know, I, I, if anything, I would think it'd be a, a ramp down as tools ramp up. And and also as that happens, like we have all these other tools that are going into effect too, like Swapper Cloud. Uh, like I'm sure nodes will start doing more analysis, their own independent analysis on the on uh, uh, different swaps coming through the network and different actions that, that are coming through the network because uh, obviously every node's job is to keep the network safe. So uh, if a node really wants to keep the network network safe and that's something that would be like a good thing to to look into is just like more automated tools to say like hey th this like you know this swap is sending out for some reason sending out like this much more volume than this automatic you know make pause on on the network and so that way um you know it can it can be stopped it's not just like, you know I, I wouldn't think it'd just be like a switch off it'd be like you know a ramp down over and after a very extended period of ossification where there's really nothing else happening yeah and the other element is that, that may not be so obvious is that um having this feature in there actually allows us to be able to save money on the treasury when somebody puts in a bug bounty by saying oh well, i have an exploit on thorchain I, I could i could take out this much you know money from the from the protocol and we can say, well, you can't you can't take out that much because you, you can only take out this much because of the delayed outbound. The network would, the community would see this, you know, weird transaction and re respond accordingly. And 
all that kind of stuff. So it actually, it, it saves the treasury's, you know, funds as well. Uh, inherently, when we start getting bug bounty reports from White Hats, trying to report some ideas, and that has helped us in the past, you know, and I expect it will help us in the future as well. So that's another kind of element to that. It may not be so, so obvious. Cool, guys. Uh, well, let's wrap this up, I guess, unless you have any more thoughts. LFG, that's all I got to say. Let's go. Let's ship. LFG. LFG. All right. See you guys. I'm going to start. Oh, by the way, um, I, I put this on, on Twitter earlier, but I'm going to start uh, uploading these to an RSS feed. So they should shortly be up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and things like that. There might be some, like, processes that I need to go through to do this, uh, but you should, it should be a little bit easier to start getting these that are not on, on Twitter or YouTube, which I also upload them to YouTube. So, um, look out for those in the future. I'll tweet about it. And if you prefer to listen over there, then you can just listen on whatever app you listen to or with R your RSS feed or, or whatever. So cool. See you guys. Love you guys. See you next week.